got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. On today's show, we've got more KU football talk. Matt Tate's going to join us at 340. We will have my college football playoff rankings, Kevin Flaherty at 440. And we also will share with you Lance Leipold speaking with the media earlier today. Um, we'll share that for you later this hour and in the 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock hour with uh, one of the pertinent clips here at the top. Uh, the wait is over, though. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. And to celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. The Denver Broncos were 6.5-point favorites yesterday. I... Uh, had a little on Denver yesterday, and boy, was that a uh, decision at the end of the game. Hey, that's that's your division champs, Derek. I, I did. I picked them to win the division. I, uh, I I liked the odds that they were plus, I forget what it was, odds 260, probably a lot something better like that. Now. I know. I can't wait another week, right? Yeah. Um, that was just a disaster. I, I think I saw a stat that there were 11 quarterbacks who didn't play in the preseason and they i think combined went like 3 and 8 in week 1 so there's something to that that we could probably explore but the broncos completely messed themselves in that game uh, they're they're clearly the better team than the seahawks like the seahawks aren't supposed to be that good um they had two fumbles at the 1 yard line they had the end of game decision there it was just a mess from them. But the end of the game decision specifically, like, yeah, I have never seen anything like that. They decided to let the clock run down from a minute left to 20 seconds left before taking a timeout. And then instead of attempting a fourth and five, trying a 64-yard field goal, of which it would have been the second longest field goal made in NFL history. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that one at all. I mean, listen, if you have like two seconds left, then I say, okay, I understand running out the field goal unit there. But with how much time they had left to run a play, with how much time they let run off the clock, uh, I the Manning cast with Peyton Manning, he was just sitting there like begging someone to call timeout. Nobody called timeout, and uh, yeah, just just classic Broncos, and they're they're very much they're very much back. They're the much the back. smartest thing the, the for them to do would have been hurry up to line of scrimmage, call a play, get it off. If you convert, you have 45 seconds left. The ball, now you're closer to well, field goal. They have multiple timeouts. They had three. So if so you don't convert. Just, they should have just called timeout to begin with. Well, they could have done that as well. But if you if you did just, hey, run up to the ball, and if you don't get it, you would still have 50 seconds left with three timeouts that you could get the ball last for, for one last try at that point. The They did the worst possible thing. So yes. no. uh, that, that was incredible to watch. And... 
you it's know, like a, it's like a train wreck. It, it was, and and with having the Chiefs in the same division, it was hilarious at the same point in time. Uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700, 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. So uh, today, I guess for you, tough day? Oh, oh yeah. Devastating day. Mm-hmm. Rodrigo Blankenship a.k.a. my doppelganger, <laughs> has been cut from the Indianapolis Colts. Waved, I guess. Um, yeah, horrible news. Terrible, terrible news. I, I mean, listen, he, he kind of looks like me. I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I can see it. You can see it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he. we both wear glasses. We both have, like, the same kind of hair, I guess, so to speak. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's it was horrible. Very tragic. <laughs> Just and and okay. The other the other thing I have to say about this is because of that, Rodrigo Blankenship has been on my fantasy team every single year since he's been in the league. He has to be, and I don't know what to do now. I mean, mm. <laughs> I gotta drop him. I guess I don't know. You can't pick up Harrison Bucker. Um, I mean, obviously he would have been drafted, but uh, the Chiefs are gonna have a new kicker, Matt Amendola, for the the near term. It's too bad they they could have had if they would have waited another day. They, they still could. could. They still could. I guess they could. Yeah, there's no stopping them from just. Dropping Matt Amendola and picking up. Dolan picking up. Uh, but yeah, th- there's the news for the Chiefs. Trent McDuffie on the IR, which is certainly plays a heavy hand with yeah. Thursday against the Chargers. Now, Keenan Allen isn't expected to play. That could change. There's still a couple days before the game for him. That would be kind of just like if you had a chessboard removing the queens on both sides, like it's just a sacrifice for each other and just kills that off to both sides. But uh, that's certainly big. He looked good in the time that he was out there for the Chiefs. So certainly something to uh, keep an eye on there. Yeah, that was obviously that's obviously a, a pretty devastating blow, and and I think it also has to change the discussion on the idea of Trent McDuffie becoming cornerback one for the Chiefs, which kind of seemed like that was their plan by at some point this season. But I mean, if he has to miss at least, so if he's on the IR, he misses at least four games. Right? Mm-hmm. So if he if he misses four games, maybe more. At that point, you're you you almost have to reset whatever progress you think you might have had by that point in the season, right? So that kind of really hurts the Chiefs from that standpoint as well. Is and, and already we knew their secondary was probably going to have some questions, the because they made some different decisions that again indicated that they believed Trent McDuffie was their guy, and now that he is going to be on the shelf for at least a month, it's it's going to be interesting to see how how they handle things because they do play they do play in a division with a lot of wide receiver talent. Now, like you said, no Keenan Allen on Thursday helps them a little bit, but even still going forward, that, that's a big blow. Yeah. Yep. Don't want to be playing uh, Justin Herbert uh, with your best cornerback down. So uh, we talked a little yesterday about Lance Leipold and the Nebraska stuff, that he's popping up on all these lists and websites and articles about guys that could have uh, possible the opportunity to be the next, next Nebraska coach, that could get offered the job, candidates, all sorts of things. Lance Leipold spoke with the media earlier today. We're going to play that audio for you coming up in a little bit here. But I at least want to share this clip. This is a question asked by Matt Tate to Lance Leipold, kind of just addressing the stuff right away. 
Lance, let's get one out of the way and then talk about Houston. I, I just wonder if you've seen and have any reaction to your name coming up on those lists at Nebraska. I'm focused on this football team and getting ready for Houston, but appreciate you asking. Okay. <laughs> Did he actually appreciate him asking? Um. Yeah, I think so. He's <laughs> just like, oh, thanks. You know, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for checking in, Matt. Appreciate it. Uh, no, I, I uh, think this is going to like. Uh, there's two ways. Fan base is either going to view this and be like, oh, that was such a non-answer. Like, clearly, uh oh, panic mode. Or they're going to look at it and be like, and this is kind of my view of things. Um, I know Matt had to ask the question, and I, somebody would have asked the question. I was sitting there the whole time going, you know, if if nobody ends up asking the question, I know there are going to be certain people who are like, why did no one ask the question? <laughs> but here's my thing. What is he going to say? Like, what what is Lance Leipold going to say that is either going to make you feel good or is going to make you feel uh, worse that he's actually going to say? Like, he's not going to, let's say he actually... I like was interviewing for the Nebraska job or wanted the job. He's not going to come up today and be like, you know what? I'm glad you asked that question because I love Nebraska and I, <laughs> I I hope I get an interview. I hope I ace the interview. I really really want the job. And then all of the players on the team and all the other coaches and everybody in me, everybody's going to be like, "Oh, great. This guy's one foot out the door." So you're not going to win by answering it that way. You're not going to win if he even says there's no way I'm taking that job or if he says I'm committed to the University of Kansas. You know why? Because we've seen this before with other coaches. We just saw it this past offseason. Remember the Lincoln Riley stuff? No, I haven't been talking to USC like a day later, hired by USC, <laughs> right? Uh, it, it happened at a couple other places as well. Wasn't Lincoln Riley, wasn't his spin zone on that that like it was only his agent talking to him? So he yeah, was like yeah. technically telling the truth. Exactly, exactly. It's just like that. So like, and, and then you're just going to make yourself a further enemy because then you're lying. But again, I don't blame a coach for being put in that situation for having to lie because if you do the alternative – then it's just going to screw yourself over if you don't end up getting the job. So, like, that was the only answer he could give. It wasn't impassioned. It wasn't emphatic or anything. But that's all that he could say. And to be completely honest, I didn't really care what his answer was for that reason. Because we're, we're, you're not going to get a right answer. The only, the only thing you're going to have to deal with from here on is just, hey, we're going to keep monitoring it. And, yes, it could be unfortunate if it's a distraction from here moving forward. But there, there's nothing you can do about it until they actually hire a coach. Yeah, like I said yesterday, I think the best case scenario for KU here is that Nebraska just jumps on somebody quick and hires them right away. That way it's just done. The longer this drags on, the longer every week somebody's going to have to stand up, whether it's Matt or whether it's whoever else is there, and say, uh, hey, Lance, by the way, a little update on Nebraska. <laughs> Anything you got there? Right? I mean, that's that, is that not going to be a weekly thing now? Because there's two two factors here. Number one, that's that question is definitely going to be asked a lot more, assuming KU continues on this upward trajectory that they're on, right? Like if as long as they as long as KU keeps winning, the questions are only going to get asked more frequently, right? And number two, like I said, as long as Nebraska doesn't hire anybody right away, it's going to further percolate those types of questions. So yeah, it really is a lose lose situation. And and I think to your point, in today's landscape of not just college athletics, but really just athletics in general, what does a commitment even mean? Like, what does it even mean to say, I'm committed to this school, I'm 100%? I mean, it happens in recruiting literally every day. It happens with coaches all the time. It doesn't mean anything, right? Like, it's almost more concerning to me if somebody goes up and is like, or if Lance were to be like, 
yeah, I'm 1,000% committed to KU. I'm not going anywhere forever. Like, that's almost like, then you're just kind of, you're almost slapping people in the face with that. You're saying, like, by blatantly lying to them, right? So, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 an interesting situation. And, and again, we talked about it yesterday, too. It's like, we, as from the KU perspective, you had to assume that these discussions were probably going to come up at some point if you expected Lance to actually be good, right? But I don't think anybody expected it to be to happen this quickly. And now, part of it is because, obviously, he has the connections to Nebraska. Like, if, hypothetically, if Brian Kelly had been fired last week... We but would, no, that's a perfect example. He was literally asked, like, about a week or uh, a couple weeks or something before he left, he was asked about leaving Notre Dame, and he, he, he was like, unequivocally, no, I will never leave here on my own accord. Yeah, but the, the, the angle that I'm looking at it is, like, the reason this is so specific to Lance is because of his connections to Nebraska and everything, right? Like, like if LSU had fired Brian Kelly, I don't think we'd be sitting here saying, oh, Lance Leipold, LSU? I don't think we'd be having that conversation. So it's just, it's kind of almost like a bad timing situation, I guess, from that standpoint. Like, this is this is one of the few, like, major jobs that, I guess, if you were in Lance Leipold's camp, you would think that this is something that he would be interested in. And it just so happens that it's open now, right? Mm-hmm. And the question becomes... For someone like Lance Leipold, which I think you you brought up as well, is this may be Lance Leipold's one shot at a major major job, right? So that has to be probably taken into consideration at some point. But but yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate, and I think for KU, my standpoint is like, hey, Kansas is two and zero for the first time since 2011. Let's celebrate that. Let's move forward. Let's 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 keep winning, right? Because again. We expected if if you expected Lance to be successful at KU, you had to then also take into consideration that these conversations, these discussions were going to be had when other jobs came open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just don't think you expected it this soon. So let's play this hypothetical out just to entertain it for a second, because again, I I don't know the likelihood of him actually being offered the job. There's other candidates that would have to get it first at the same point in time. If it is offered. You would also have the, does he take it, does he not? I would think that you would in that situation, but that's a a story for another day. Let's just get to the hypothetical of Lance Leipold is at Nebraska now. What do you do if you're Kansas? I know maybe this is a conversation we could just have if it actually happens, but (laughs) I don't really care. Let's have it now. It's fun. Um, I mean, it's not a fun thing to happen, but it's, you know. I mean, I I think it it could be fun from the standpoint of, the, one of the ways that I see this happening is like, if Kansas goes like eight and four, nine and three, then that certainly Nebraska. increases the likelihood that they would want to hire him, right? <laughs> exactly. So from that standpoint, if you're KU, let's say you're you're coming off of a nine and three season, but your sort of star coach has moved on. I don't. I don't know. I don't know because I think the question becomes there is like, is there a question in your mind that where the program is right now is is better, just generally speaking, than it was when Lance Leipold took over. The answer is yes, right? Mm-hmm. But is it Wh- is it in a state where somebody else could come in and continue that? I mean, the so I guess part of that is like, do you hire internally at that point? I know I had a lot of people because uh, well, I put this up is, for a poll on Sunday, it, and a lot of people were saying, "Well, they're just going to bring all the coaching staff with them." I understand that. And, like, and the, to, like to Nebraska? Yeah, to yeah. Nebraska. That yeah. like Okay, for instance, like I think the most popular candidate, especially right now after the West Virginia game, if you were to hire internally, would be to promote Andy Kotelnicki to head coach. At least right now, that would be most popular, right? 
And I think a lot of people have thought that, oh, well, everywhere Lance Leipold has gone, he's taking the coaches with him. Lance Leipold, or Andy Kotelnicki would just go to be the OC at Nebraska. And I'm sitting there like, okay, but that's like, it's a little different because the idea that you're a coordinator at a school like Nebraska, and not everyone has head coaching aspirations. So that it could be different. But a lot of guys who are coordinators at schools like Nebraska, like Alabama, they're working their way to try to get a head coaching job I mean, at a Power 5 university. I mean, the Nick Saban coaching tree is like, what, 50 coaches at this point? Right. So, like, I do believe if this situation happened and you said, hey, Andy Kotelnicki, stick around, we'll make you head coach, he would stay in that situation. But not everybody wants to be a head coach, so you never know that for sure. Nonetheless, though, that that kind of boils down to the options to me. It's do you hire internally or do you go externally there if that situation arises? The 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 benefit of hiring internally is that this foundation that is start to be set by Lance Leipold, it would allow you to keep the current, I guess, culture in place and maybe keep a lot of those guys at the school and not be just gutted in the transfer portal and lose other guys from the KU team to Nebraska, right? That would certainly help. On the flip side, though, we saw Buffalo make an internal hire when Lance Leipold left. And that hasn't really worked out for them. They were not very good last year. They just lost to, uh, I forget who it was, like Holy Cross or was it Eastern Eastern Kentucky? Kentucky. Okay, yeah. Uh, No, it wasn't Eastern Kentucky. I know it was an FCS school. No, it was Holy Cross. It was was on a weird finish. Eastern Kentucky beat Bowling Green. Okay. It was on like a Hail Mary. It was Holy Cross. Okay. Yeah, it was on like a Hail Mary, but um, still, nonetheless, it has not gone as well for them since Lance Leipold left. So do you look at that and say, eh, maybe the magic is with Leipold. I would rather hire, hire externally. And go for a guy like Jeff Munkin, who is seemingly a finalist for the job, or go to the you know Tulane well and uh, pick up. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the Tulane head coach, uh, Willie Fritz, um, or, or someone like that that you know has built strong cultures elsewhere. And even though things will be different, scheme again will be different. You feel like some of the culture stuff there would still be in place, and that you might lose some transfers, but you like the hire overall. I'd be curious to know what they would do. This is just uh, this is just classic KU football, I would say, in the sense that you have not you've struggled as a program to f- develop any kind of stability, any kind of foundation of really anything for over for like a dozen years now, right? And here comes a guy brings in a bunch of his staff, literally the definition of stability, the definition of continuity. Uh, with coaching and everything, and he's got this culture, and he is now two and zero in his second season after going two and ten in his first season, and already within twenty four hours of his fourth win at KU, second win of the season of his second year, there's discussions of him leaving. Is that not quintessential KU football over the last twelve years that you finally feel like you found this pillar of of stability and uh, a beacon of hope for the KU program, so to speak, just for it to be snuffed out immediately after a 2-0 and start? Yeah, I mean, it, it would, but, like, I guess the difference between this and, and years past is that the years past, like, you haven't even really had that that step forward, right? To where this is, at least. Like, you've had positive moments. I don't mean it from that standpoint, but not to this level. So, I don't know. I guess uh, that's a question that they'll have to kind of wrestle but, with. I. But like I said, if if he does leave, is is that just 
Is it just snuffed out? Is it boom? Is it just gone? And then right back to. The, I mean, it just depends on the next hire. Know, it's five, just a lot of pressure. Five back. coaches in ten years, whatever. It's just a lot of pressure back on you know Travis Goff. It's like uh, I look at like Memphis, for instance, right? Like Justin Fuente leaves for Virginia Tech, and then they bring up Mike Norvell, and he did really well, and then he left for Florida State, and. Now they have a new head coach. They're not doing that well, but they're still, I think they won six games last year. So like, But Memphis is not a power five. School. No, I, I, that's a, that's, I know. That's but a, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Why? Memphis is not a power five school. So that's just what they're going to be, right? Like, isn't that the idea that the group of five schools have up and coming coaches and they leave? Yeah, but I think from a Kansas perspective, like that could very well happen. But to them. it shouldn't be. You see what I'm saying? It shouldn't be, though. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're taking what I'm saying the wrong way. Basically, okay, what I'm okay. saying here is the the point for Travis, or, or I guess the point of this is that if you're Kansas and you want to sustain success as a football program, there's a chance you're just going to have to be good at hiring coaches. You know what I mean? Like, that's what Memphis did. They were good at yeah, hiring coaches. In the, in the short term, like mm-hmm. in the long term, you'd want to just become a, a, a Big 12 contender, right? for, like, Big 12 championships at football. And if that's the case, then you're going to have probably the same coach. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but, again, it goes back to the idea that you have to be good at hiring coaches. So it's just a lot of pressure on Travis Goff. Like, no matter who the head coach is, you got to be good at hiring one. So Travis Goff hit it with the first one, and maybe Lance Leipold will be here for a while. But if he's gone, then maybe, I don't know, I think that would be my nod right now. You'd go maybe out of out of pocket and, and try to get somebody else and maybe bring on a Jeff Bunkett or something like that. But we'll cross that bridge if we get there. This is RCST on KLWN. We'll share the first part of the Lance Leipold audio coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson and joined now on a Tuesday by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. And uh, Matt, I guess we'll start here. I know I know you took some uh, heat from a, a KU fan, a listener of this show, for not being positive enough with the record prediction, which I'll just <laughs> say this. For one, not your job. Two, usually not accurate. Three, dumb to judge an opinion based on somebody's prediction for a win-loss thing because guess what? We all suck at predicting anything. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I will give you a chance to redeem yourself here. How many points does Kansas win the national championship by over Alabama? <laughs> 75 there we go look at that nobody can call oh, you yeah, a hater now that's that's <laughs> just 75 margin i didn't even tell you how many mm. touchdowns they're gonna score in that game yeah, 40 what's, what's Jalen daniel's final line in that game yeah 73 for 74 212 yards it was a lot of take what the defense oh, okay um, <laughs> but then he rushed for 496 wow um, a hundred more than Tony Sands back in the day, mm-hmm. and you know, and just, and then, and then here's the most amazing thing about it: zero passing touchdowns, zero rushing touchdowns, because he's so selfless and such a team player that he stopped at the one every time he could have scored, wow. and then decided to hand it off um, on the next play or you know halfback pass or something like that. So. Um, one of the weirder lines you'll ever see, but you can mark it down. It's happening. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, then I guess you will have too more people out team. there. Yeah there'll, yeah, there'll there'll be more people out there calling me inaccurate, <laughs> and uh, I'll live with that. But yeah, good stuff. I I, uh, I think people should be excited about this start, um, regardless of how you feel about predictions or non predictions. Uh, what's not to love, man? I mean, they've looked great, and and. I, <laughs> 
until that, I thought my writing had reflected most of that. I, I generally try to, you know, tell it like I see it. I don't, I don't really care if they're good or bad. I just write what I watch. And uh, no, and to be I, fair, I like think- me asking you for a prediction on the win loss record is not like a, you're, you're like you said, you're writing about what is happening, and I taking you out of your comfort zone there, but no, but yeah, I mean, look. Sports, sports writing, sports media, is all about speculation and predicting, sure. and and you and know, we're all making, bad at it. Yeah, we're all bad <laughs> at it, exactly. But that that was kind of my point, right? I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pick five or six wins going into this season just because I want people to feel good about my prediction. I want my prediction to be as close to right as it can be, and in order to do that, I, I've got to go with what I know. And I, I'll tell you what, I, I think there are a lot of people, maybe not the players, but I think there are a lot of people within the uh, KU program that might not have predicted five or six wins if they were being honest. You know, So it's not a reflection of, of – you know, not not thinking this team's going in the right direction. I think they're headed in a terrific direction. It's just going to take some time to get there, and that's life. And and you know, you, you got to crawl before you walk, and walk before you run, and all those things. And they're in the process of doing that right now. So um, again, though, I mean, through two games, you can't ask for much better. All right. So which of these, I guess, headlines, stories, whatever uh, things that have come out, are you taking the most seriously? Dennis Dodd put Jalen Daniels third on his Heisman uh, projection or contender. I forget how he termed it. Uh, KU being a bowl team now or Lance Leipold, Nebraska rumors. Which of those three are you taking the most seriously? Wow. I thought you were being nice to me today. And now here you, here you go throw that one. A um, couple of ways to answer that. Number one, I love Jalen and I don't think he's a Heisman candidate. So I think that'll that'll dissipate a little bit. Um, and I think he could still really have a really good year. Um, but Heisman's, first of all, you got to win to be in the Heisman race. And they're 2-0, and and that's why he's there right now. As Lance Leipold said today, you know, maybe in 10, 11 weeks, if we're still talking about that, then, then he'll have something to say about it. So, um, you know, you, it, it's hard to win the Heisman at 5-7. and seven. Or even six and six, or even seven and five. You know, so I, I think that one's hard to take serious. It's great that it was on there, though. It really reflects where this program is and headed, and and the excitement and the buzz around it. Um, so, and and look, I know Dennis well. I mean, he he's that's not tongue in cheek. That's not that's not you know, he's very aware that that's a a two week thing. But he's also not one to put Jalen Daniels on that list if he doesn't deserve it. And the numbers show that he. He does deserve it. So I think that's really cool, and I, I like seeing all this attention that all these guys are getting, but, but especially Jalen. Uh, so that one's off. The other two, Nebraska or what was the second one? The Scott. Oh, bowl or, team? Yeah, 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 the bowl team. Yeah, that, that, that's really tough. Um, I, and, and you phrased it as, which one am I taking most serious? Yes. Okay, I think I have to take the bowl thing most serious. Um, I, I, I want to point out that I think that the Nebraska thing is something people should be aware of and and potentially worried about. Um, I do think Nebraska would be foolish to not give Lance Leipold a look. Um, I don't know that that means he interviews there or is a finalist there or even is a real candidate there, but the powers that be up there would have to take a look. And so when you, when you view it that way, you have to take it seriously. But when you view it through the lens of 
is he going to leave Kansas to go to Nebraska? I mean, I think I would I would say my answer is absolutely not. I think first of all, Nebraska has to want him, and I don't think he'll be their first, second, maybe even third choice. Um, so I, I don't think you you have to take that serious when it when it when you look at the the final outcome of that. I do think it would be foolish for KU fans to bury their head in the sand and say never going to leave, not possible. He wouldn't take the job. You know, he's got to be offered before we know the answer to that. I don't think he'll be offered, but I do think you should think it could happen. And if he were offered, maybe he would leave. You know, at least opening your mind to the fact that this could be something that 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 is possible, um, even if it's unlikely. So, so that's how I would I would you know sort of address the Nebraska one. So that makes the bowl game thing um, the most serious for me. And part of that is their two and zero start. Part of that is in order to get to a bowl game, you you got to win six, and they've won two already. So I'm not I'm not really doing anything other than taking the easy answer there and taking the uh, head start. But um, but what they've done the last couple of weeks, both the victories and the way they've played. Um, has definitely led me to believe that this team has a higher ceiling and and uh, could be better than than I thought in terms of wins and losses. Um, you know, all of a sudden this Houston game looks winnable. Uh, they're still a double digit underdog, and it's not going to be an easy game. But there's no one that's thinking they can't go down there and win now. Um, and then you come home for Duke. That's very winnable. And, Probably a game people are, are thinking Kansas now should win, not just could or, or, or probably will. Um, so, you know, there's two winnable games right there, and if you can get those two, um, you know, goodness gracious, now you're 4-0 or even 3-1. and I mean, it just, it just, it just changes the outlook, um, both from a confidence standpoint of the players and the program and, and also from the, the outside looking in where, where the fans and the excitement around town are, are, are much greater than they've been in a long, long time. So, um, you know, the Big 12's got a lot of talented teams. There's a lot of tough teams. There's a lot of really good defenses. But there's also some teams that, you know, you could get. And if you're playing good football, you could show up and win against a handful of them. So uh, I'm not going to change my prediction. Um, I'm not going to all of a sudden say they're a bowl team. I don't, I don't do that. But um, I, I, I do think I will entertain the idea that they could make a run at it way more than I would have two weeks ago. Um, so those are tough, tough questions and tough, uh, tough choices, I guess, in that question. But I would have to take the, uh, the middle one. Yeah, I, mm, I don't know. The Lance Leipold one... <laughs> With Nebraska, I, I find I I don't know they're they're all I guess kind of interesting to their own level except for the the Jalen Daniels Heisman one like that you, you got to win nine or ten games which I as great as the start has been like that's probably not um, happening here so ah uh, well if they do right if they win nine or ten games then Jalen's your your Heisman winner right yeah because you know he would be the guy that did it I well, mean like okay. they got to have a good defense and they got to have other guys make plays. Quentin Skinner and Luke Grimm and Devin Neal and all that. But if this freaking team wins nine or ten games, Jalen is your Heisman winner. No question. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here's what's really interesting. If they do, let's let's do let's go through that hypothetical. They win nine games, Jalen Daniels puts up amazing numbers. It's the story of college football. Jalen Daniels wins Heisman. But because they're also nine and three and have the Heisman winner, doesn't that accentuate the Lance Leipold to Nebraska rumor? So I wonder, like like, do you take that trade off as 
a KU fan, yes. a season that yes. you go nine and three, where Jalen Daniels wins the Heisman and gets all sort of good publicity for Kansas, but your head coach is no longer with the team after the year. When you're a Kansas fan, you have no, you you no longer have the right to to decide if you take that choice. You take it. <laughs> you don't even think about it because you've suffered for so damn long that you don't, you don't, you don't. You don't want to put people in that position where they wouldn't take that choice, right? Like, who wouldn't? I, I, and I understand what you're saying. I'm not yelling at you, but, but yes, you would take it. And if that means you lose Lance, then, then you go hire the next good quality football coach who comes in to a program that is absolutely back, and mm-hmm. you can feel good about that. And, and look, you know, again, I don't think he's going anywhere. But if he did... Travis Goff's proved he can make a couple of good hires. I mean, Lance was a terrific hire, and 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 Travis did that, you know, in his first couple of months on the job as as a first time AD. Uh, I also think there's a lot of people who believe that his baseball hire, granted that's not college football, but Dan Fitzgerald as the new baseball coach was a really really good hire and is showing to be that already, even though it's not baseball season. So Travis Goff's track record of making good hires is 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 high right now and 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 you know it's it's definitely got a, a high marks and, and the arrows way up so he, at that point would everybody be devastated and, and miserable sure um you'd, you'd hate to lose the guy that got in here and got it going but you would have to feel good about a that it reached that point and b that travis goff is going to make another good hire so all of this obviously very very hypothetical probably pretty unlikely um if not very unlikely. So, you know, it's fun to talk about, but at the same time, um, yeah, you take that. You, I mean, I, I, if anybody's listening that wouldn't take that, I, I'd, I'd like you to send me an, a note on Twitter <laughs> or send me an email or whatever and, and just explain to me why you wouldn't take 9-3 and three Jalen Daniels wins the Heisman Trophy. I can't, I can't imagine that. I, I think it's the idea that with Lance Leipold then – if you have him longer term, who knows what you're winning after that. But you also, like, you look at a school like Baylor, who had RG3 win the Heisman and what that did for the program, what that did for recruiting. And they've had, uh, what, uh, Art Griles, Jim, or Art Briles, Jim Grobe, Matt Rule, Dave, they've had, what, four coaches over the last decade or something like that. So maybe maybe that is, uh, I think, a, a positive trade off there. Um, I do have a, a, an interesting hypothetical here for you, Matt. Let's say. KU is taking on Houston this Saturday, and uh, KU is trying to come back late. It's fourth down and I don't know, say five yards. Time is running out, but instead of opting to go for it on fourth down, they let the clock run as low as possible. They call a timeout <laughs> and they try a sixty-four yard field goal. What goes through your head in that situation? Well, the first thing that would go through my head is. How quickly can I write the Lance Leipold is an idiot column and put it up? That would be the first thing that goes through my head. Uh, Nebraska's like, no thanks, no thanks. We're yeah, good. yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, Nebraska is not hiring Nathaniel Hackett. We know that. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that's good. You know, you entertain me and indulge me often with the Broncos thing, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like I, I I need to do the same here. It's 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 national news it is the biggest story right now at least was for the last 12 hours or whatever i mean i've never seen anything like that in my life and i'm not alone there i mean people who have watched a lot more football than i have even have said the same thing uh it was baffling and and i will say like all the broncos rallied behind it man their post-game comments 
comments today, you know, hey, that's what we wanted. We knew we knew we were going to do it. I believe in coach and all that. And it all sounded sincere. So I hope it is as a Broncos fan. Otherwise, you could lose an entire team, an entire city with that awkward and odd decision. But um, I don't know. It's too bad. I mean, you know, like, I don't like to see him go for it. Obviously, all the arguments are there of you pay Russell Wilson $250 million, you probably ought to let him try to get five yards. But I can see it. It's a hard thing to convert, fourth and five. And if you don't get it, the game's over, at least by kicking it. You know if it went in, you won. But even then, I mean, it, the odds of that happening were were ridiculous. And, and I think it was Pete Carroll that said he kicked the hell out of the ball. Uh, he did. You know, it was not it was not one of those awful, awful-looking um, 60-plus desperation field goals that never has a chance because it barely gets above the line of scrimmage and, you know, things like that bounces at the 15-yard line or something. I mean, you know, at least the guy showed he could bang it through if, if he had just pushed it a little bit further to the right. So, that helps, but but that was strange. And uh, you know, I still think Denver's going to have a really good season and a good team. Um, that was a perfect storm for things to go against them. First time coaching an NFL game as a head coach, Russell Wilson. First time with a new team, maybe pressing a little bit, although he looked good. Uh, the rabid environment that was Seattle wanting to knock his head off you know it just that's a lot for week one there's a lot of emotion and a lot tied into that so uh oh and one you live i did hear from uh some reporter who covers the broncos he tweeted that um a veteran on the team he didn't say who but a veteran on the team told him or sent him a text message after the game said i feel a heck of a lot better about this team at oh and one than i did last year's team at three and oh and that's all you need to hear. You know, that that's all you need to hear. So um, I know that was more Broncos than you wanted, but, but to answer your question again, if KU did that, uh, I don't know when I would stop writing about it. I mean, I think it would be weeks <laughs> later I'd still be writing about what in the hell were they doing. I'd, I'd, call, I'd call everybody that I could possibly ask and see if they had an explanation because I almost asked Lance Leipold today if he had an explanation for last night because I'm still – desperate to try to find somebody that can explain that that was a good play or the smart thing to do it it just it just wasn't so congratulations chief fans you get to enjoy <laughs> laughing at our expense a little longer um but you know we'll see what happens from here if, if they fall in the tank because of it then that'll really suck but um i think they'll be okay still that's a tough one though you don't want to lose it but hey it wasn't a conference loss so it won't hurt you in the tiebreaker <laughs> he is matt tate Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks, Derek. Kept me on my toes today, man. Good stuff. Appreciate you. Keep you guessing. Again, that's Matt Tate. You can check out all his work, KUSports.com and in the LJ World. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. One man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is I love sleeping in on Saturdays and I love college football games. You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. All right, we've moved my college football playoff rankings to now 
being on a Tuesday. That's what the committee does. I uh, am overtaking the committee here on this one. Uh, coming up, by the way, we are going to have Kevin Flaherty in about 35 minutes to talk a little more college football. But it's that time for my college football playoff rankings. I don't know what I call these. Do I call them week three because we're in week three? Do I call them post-week two? But we've also um, had three weeks technically would, of play. Uh, yeah, maybe post-week two. Okay. Well, what, is, what, is the CF, what does the CFP do? That's a great question. I don't even think they title them. They're just like, here's some rankings. <laughs> Deal with it. Here's some random rankings. All right, uh, here's who's off the list from last week. Lots of change on this week's edition. Nebraska, if Scott Frost onside kicked, they're gone. They lost to uh, Georgia Southern, okay. so even if he did onside kick against Northwestern and they win, they still would have lost to Georgia Southern. Southern is off the list. They lost. Nevada is off the list. They lost to an FCS opponent. Actually, one that... Um, UIW. Yeah, Garner that's right. Uh, Vanderbilt lost, and Georgia is off the list. They only beat Samford 33-0. That's not a great resume. And, and Oregon, That's a bad win. Clearly not good. Exactly. So uh, let's get into the new list. Number eight, Texas, if they had more time. Ah. If Texas had more time, they'd be 2-0. This is a direct quote from Steve Sarkeesian after the loss to Alabama. Quote, we didn't lose today. We ran out of time. <laughs> Who am I to disagree with someone in his position of absolute power who is making millions and millions of dollars, who am I to disagree with that? So you Texas... Should, you, should, you should use that in your next argument with your wife. Like, <laughs> I didn't lose this argument. Yeah. I just simply ran out of time to make my argument. I didn't forget to go to the grocery store. I just ran out of time. I'll go later. Um, Texas with more time gets the win over Alabama. A game they... I'll be honest. Like Texas actually stood up pretty tall with Alabama in that game and maybe if they don't have a backup QB like they, they kind of got conservative once Hudson Card went in there maybe if Quinn Ewards is in or not injured the whole you know part of the second half or whatever it was does uh, Texas, does maybe they Texas win. take a knock in the rankings because Quinn Ewards is going to be out for a while mm, possibly but the committee needs to evaluate more tape without Quinn Ewers in the lineup Okay, That's but fair. for now Texas if they had more time would be in at number 8 Number seven on the list, Air Force. The Falcons are 2-0. They are averaging over 500 yards rushing per game. That's just ridiculous on its own. They have wins over Colorado and Northern Iowa. They spoiled my lock of the week. I was like, Air Force, they, they play these close games. They play low possession games. They run the ball. And then they just smacked Colorado. Well, Colorado was really bad. Yeah. Like, maybe one of the worst Power 5 teams, actually. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they might... That gosh, they might be the worst. It's too bad Colorado's not still in the Big Twelve. Kansas would have another win. Yeah, they, that'd they be might, great. They might be the worst. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Air Force looks really good again. Over 500 rushing yards per game. That'll do it. Uh, number six, SMU. They are up from number seven. So here's our first returning team on the list from last week. Up a spot. They had a ho hum win, 45-16 over Lamar, and then they obviously had their first win over North Texas. Nothing more to add for SMU, but good start obviously for them. Okay, into the top five. New team on the list, Iowa with an average offense. Mm. Because Iowa, again, you brought up the stat yesterday, they have more punts than points. <laughs> they do. That is not good. Um, 16, but 16 punts, 14 points. Their defense is legit, man. You hold well, and technically, if you take away if you take away the defense, their offense only has 10 points. That's true. Yeah, the okay, so let's divvy this out. So the defense is four points, right? The offense has 10. 
Well, no, I want to divvy it out to special teams too. So the the oh, special okay. teams has four, and the oh, offense what, what, has six. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the defense get four? Wait. I'm yeah, gonna... defense four, okay, offense, okay, okay, okay. offense six. Sorry, you had special me. teams yep. four. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back now. So like that, that's remarkable that all those are are that close together just to begin with. Um, so if you just give Iowa an average offense because they legit might have one of the worst five <laughs> or ten offenses in college football. Like seriously. If you give them an average offense with that defense and special teams, I mean, they're undefeated right now. They beat Iowa State. They held them to 10 points. Yep. Give them an average offense. They're scoring more than 10. Yep. Iowa's that average offense is a wagon. Yeah, that's a, that's a powerhouse mm-hmm. right there. All right, number four, Georgia Southern. So they, they got that big win. We had uh, Nebraska, Scott Frost, onside kicked in at number one. Well, they technically beat number one. They won 45-42. They did it on the road as well in Nebraska. They're 2-0. They also won 59-7 in the opener. Sunbelt rules. Do you think any of those Georgia Southern players had ever been to Nebraska before in their lives? No chance. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that. When you have like a like a Florida team or somebody, they go play like at Utah mm-hmm. or at like Nebraska or whatever. How many of those players even know where that is on the map? Maybe that helps. It's like, hey, you you go to somewhere where it's like, you know, you go to Las Vegas or Miami, or like, hey, we got to go check out the nightlife, or you go somewhere where it's like, hey, I know about this good spot that Whoa, we can go to. Are you to. saying that Lincoln, Nebraska, does not have a nightlife? I'm sure it does have like a local nightlife to a certain extent, but it's definitely not on the top <laughs> hundreds of cities that yeah. I would list before I think of a place with great nightlife. You're telling me you would never take a weekend trip to Lincoln, Nebraska? No, I, I mean, I would. I would actually love to go out there for a football game and experience that and everything, but no, I would not, not, not be going out to Lincoln to be like, hey, let's go check out the nightlife let's in Lincoln. Check out some, yeah. Oh. That's fair. That's fair. I'll go to Omaha if I want to do that. Uh, okay, into the top three. Number three, our highest-ranked Big Ten team, Minnesota. Minnesota's kind of snuck under the radar here. You have Wisconsin losing to Washington State. You have Iowa having no offense. You have, who else is in that division? Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska just stinks. Uh, Indiana. Yeah, I have no idea how they're doing. Um, But Minnesota, man, they're 2-0. They had a nine-win season last year. That doesn't matter for this. But they're averaging over 50 points per game and giving up just five. They played New Mexico. Yeah. So, they are the top offense by yards per game, and they are the top defense by yards allowed per game. I will say, this is interesting because, as we as you just mm-hmm. listed off, the Big Ten West sucks. Stinks. <laughs> so, Minnesota, hypothetically, does not have to be that good to make the Big Ten title game. Yeah. They get to 10-2 and two or something. <laughs> Maybe. I mean. Then lose by I, 40 I, to I, Ohio was, State. Wisconsin, I assume, was probably the, the top pick to make it out of the Big Ten West. Like mm-hmm. you said, they just lost. So, who? why not us, Minnesota? Row the boat. I like it. So, like it, I mean, are literally. They still row the boat? Yeah. Okay. Very With, in your uh, face about it, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, literally number one in yards per game and yards allowed per game. That gets you into number three. Number two, though, is a returning team on the list. They are up from number five last week. They didn't play, but the resume got better. Florida State. Is 2-0. They're in at number two. Because here's why. Obviously, they beat LSU, right? Doesn't look like a great win. But you know what LSU did last week? What's that? They crushed Southern. And Southern (laughs) was ranked (laughs) last week. Yeah, yeah. I think they were four. I could be wrong with that. (laughs) No, they were three. Just kidding. So, 
now you're talking about Florida State's resume is just absolutely elite. Yes. The elite of all the Bull- elite. Bulletproof. Yes, exactly. You can't beat it. So they're in at number two pretty easily. But number one is a team who we had ranked number two last week. And I think we should get some credit for this because they beat Notre Dame. That was Marshall. Oh, really? That was not an upset. I don't know. Everybody's like, oh, Marshall goes into Notre Dame and pulls this upset and gets the win. We had Marshall number two. Notre Dame was not ranked in our top eight. So that was expected to happen. Honestly, wasn't great that it was even a close game for them. Because if you're number two and you're playing an unranked team, you should probably handle your business more. So they are on high alert there. But that is a good resume win for Marshall. They're up to number two or, or up to number one from number two. They're two and zero. Oh. What a season for them! They've even been doing it without. They have this stud running back who ran for like fourteen hundred yards last year. He hasn't even played yet. He's been injured, so he's coming back at some point. Winner of the Sun Belt auto bid to the college football playoff. I like that, dude. The Sun Belt mm-hmm. actually. I mean, you think about it: Marshall, Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, Coastal Carolina. Louisiana has been a top twenty-five team yep. for you know a couple years here. Yeah. I think Southern fringe, Miss is there now. Top twenty-five team. Yeah. yeah, Southern Miss is in the Sun Belt. Yeah, they they went over with uh, Marshall. Oh, Troy has shown years of being good. I have no idea if they'll be good this year, dude. Troy has uh, Troy Belt. has Jarrett Dagey as their starting quarterback, by the way. Okay, so he there tra- we go. Trans- another another boon for he, he transferred for the Sun from, Belt. Okay, so hold on. He transferred from he was West originally Virginia, at right? West Virginia, but then he transferred to somewhere else before after huh. West Virginia, and then he transferred from that place to Troy. I'm pretty sure. Oh, by the way, for Georgia Southern, Kyle Van Treese, former Lance Leipold quarterback at Buffalo, leading them into number four right now. I probably should have put Kansas on this list. They're uh, I'll just say they're honorable. Yeah, I was, honestly, I was I was gonna bring that up. Pretty mm-hmm. shocked that that Kansas was not on the list. Not that I would expect any homerism mm-hmm. from the from the committee. No, no. The committee we have no is, biases on the, the committee. The committee has the mm-hmm. utmost integrity and <laughs> non-bias. That's but correct. I, but as an outside viewer, I was a bit surprised mm-hmm. to see that the two and Kansas football Jayhawks were not ranked. The committee is definitely discussing that if Kansas wins at Houston, they should be ranked, but there are no promises to be made. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. (laughs) That is my college football playoff rankings. We'll get into uh, some Big 12 talk coming up next. Then Kevin Flaherty will join us after that from 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett just opened his Tuesday press conference. This is just like two minutes ago with, quote, looking back on it, we definitely should have gone for it. (laughs) You think? No, that's even worse. That's even worse. (laughs) You think it would have been better if he was just like. Dude, you're supposed to just double down. Just be like, yeah, man, I would have done that 100 times out of 100. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. Should have just been like, like that's like PR one hundred and one. Mm-hmm. If you make a terrible decision and everyone immediately is like, <laughs> "Wow, that fault. was a terrible decision," <laughs> you're supposed to just double down on it. I he, oh, I, that's I so think bad. He just played the vague game where he was just like, uh, you know, it was something we'll we'll have to look back over and and figure out what we want to do from there. Just play it like super. Like, vague. It was a it was a close decision. Like we <laughs> yeah. we'll, we're going to evaluate. And, Obviously, and, it didn't go the way we wanted yeah, it to go, but yeah. we hope the yeah. the process is just as good next time. Something like that. Yeah, we actually didn't want to win, but we were, <laughs> you know, looking over our options, and we thought this might be the best oh one for not winning. Hey, what if with what if like Nathaniel Hackett just had Seattle? The you know. Yeah, I mean that is a Picked kind a of money interesting. Line. I mean, obviously, sports betting just sports betting just became legal in Kansas. That is an interesting discussion that's kind of been 
glossed over. Yeah, like, obviously, I was joking, but, like, there will be a scandal at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there was the Calvin Ridley, or, uh, yeah, Calvin Ridley. Yeah, Calvin Ridley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, he had the situation, but, yeah, I I don't know. It does feel like we're kind of glossing over that, though, with sports betting getting legalized in more states. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, venue 1235 is a perfect spot if you're looking for your next social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. So we're going to have Kevin Flaherty join the show in less than 20 minutes from right now from 24-7 Sports. Talk a little Big 12 football. Let's get that Big 12 football talk started now. I regret to inform you, but I must ask it. The producers have put a gun up to my head. They have said it's that... It's me. I'm the producer. Well, I, the higher-ups at the station have said, you know, you have to discuss this. Everybody wants to know, is Texas back? No. They didn't win. <laughs> but they they did what we said last week. We were like... They did. We, they did. Yeah. We, we did. And more, to we, be honest. We, we sat here and said... We're like 17. They, yeah, exactly. We sat here and said if they kept 17, they would be back. So... That's kind of <laughs> like on back on us, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, it's like it's like when you're playing racquetball and you whack it and it hits you in the face or something. Like it's like this was a great take. Not what I expect, and then yeah. Whack, right back at you. Turns out Texas is back. Okay, because but yeah, I, we, we have to say they're back because we said they would be if they kept it within 17. But I do agree. Like, I actually, no, they are not back. But from the standpoint of. Did you see enough from them to think that they could actually contend for the Big 12? Well, I think the problem now is Quinn Ewers is going to be out. Yeah, so, we don't know how long. Yeah, so Which, by the way, that like, is the weirdest injury. I didn't even know you could sprain your clavicle. I thought your clavicle was a bone. Isn't that like your shoulder? That, like this, I guess people can't, people can't see it, but I'm currently pointing to my <laughs> like my shoulder. I thought it was like the bone, like your collarbone. Isn't that your clavicle? Um, I broke my collarbone, mm. so I should So know. did I. Wow. Really? really? Look at that. Wow, that's crazy. Quinn Ewers should Man, take more medical advice from us. 216 bones in your body, and, <laughs> or I think, and you and I broke the same one. What okay, are the odds? I actually broke mine playing flag football, which is kind of sad to say, mm. I guess, but because it's like, wouldn't it be way cooler if I said I broke it playing actual football? I would just say you broke it playing football. Yeah, you don't. It, nobody's gonna ask you, you know, like, oh, what kind of football? You can okay. just get away with slipping in football yeah. if you want. Yeah. That's true. Cause it's not like I. It's, it'd be different if I was like, yeah, I broke it in like a bar fight or something. Right. You know, like nobody's gonna believe that. <laughs> but if I if I tell, because it is true, I broke it playing mm-hmm. football, just not the football yeah. you think of. No, you don't have to. You don't have to clarify. You know. Okay. Okay. I won't then. I won't. There you go. Um, but I guess the way I view it with Texas now is like, I think the defense is better than I thought it was going to be. Like the defense was really bad last year, and they. So so I don't know what to think of Alabama, first of all, I guess is the first part of this conversation because it's clear that they are missing weapons on the outside, which we haven't seen in a handful of years here. They do still have the really good quarterback. They do still have the you know talented running backs with like Jameer Gibbs and stuff. Um, that is but, interesting, actually, because you think about it, Alabama over the past like, what, it's been first eight rounder years? After first rounder. Yeah, it's been like not only that, but like arguably the, number, the best receiver in the country on, mm-hmm. has been on Alabama for like the past seven years in a row. Yeah. So clearly they don't have as good of weapons, and that helps, but I, Texas defense was better than I thought it was going to be. They couldn't really establish the run a ton, but I guess that makes sense because Alabama is probably thinking, hey, we can't let Bijan get going, and they have their backup quarterback in there and all this stuff. I, I again, don't think like Texas is back by any sense, but would it shock you if Texas went 8-4 and four this year and 6-3 no. and three in Big 12 play, and that's either good enough for like second or third in the Big 12 this year? 
and maybe it gets you in the Big 12 title, or maybe you're in fourth place because you lose out on a tiebreaker, but they're at least in discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is probably a realistic outcome for Texas this year, which is that enough for you to say that they're back? Like, we this, this whole Texas is back thing mm-hmm. has, like, dragged on for so long that at what point do we actually say, unironically, they are back? Like, what do they have to do? Do they have to win the Big 12 title? Do they have to get to the title game? Do they have to what like Maybe. like like legitimately what this this like meme has gone on now yeah. for so long that we've almost lost sight of what it would actually take for Texas to actually be back. I'll be honest, I don't barring making like winning the national championship. I think winning the national championship does it, but like I think it's more than a one year thing. Because what if they what if they go to the college football playoff and at the time we would be saying they are back, right? Yeah. But then the next year they go five and seven. But if you win the national championship the next year, go five and seven, would we still be saying they're back too? That'd be almost. I don't worse. know. That'd be almost worse. That would. So I guess if it is a one-year thing, uh, the college football playoff for sure. If you make it, I I don't want to say win the Big Twelve because what if it's one of those years where you win the Big Twelve with three losses? That could be this year. And well, we saw. Um, gosh, what was that? Four or five years ago, when they they didn't win the Big Twelve, but they lost in the Big Twelve title game. It was a close game to OU. And then they beat Georgia in the Sugar oh, Bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Shane, that was when uh, Sam uh-huh. Ellinger was like. And, and that team won double-digit games. That team yep. won a Sugar Bowl. Yep. But I still don't look back on it and go, yeah, they were back there. Okay. So, I, I don't know. Maybe so it is winning the Big 12. The bar is pretty high. The bar is pretty But they high didn't win the Big 12 that year. So, maybe it is winning the Big 12. Okay. Do you agree? I, I don't know. That's what I'm no. I, I'm literally asking. I'm like, this whole. It's, a spectrum. it's like we're in this, like, warp now of, like. What even is what? Do you, what even mm-hmm. does being back, quote unquote, back mean? Like, what does that even mean? I don't know. We, we've uh, taken it too far. You taken the mean too far. Well, you know who looked really good over the weekend? Kansas State. They just bludgeoned Missouri yeah. in that game. Adrian Martinez. You look at the stats and like the ESPN total QBR or quarterback rating, whatever numbers you want to look at. It's not great so far, but they've done everything else really well, and also they haven't really had him. Or or needed him to kind of step up in those moments. So that that's I guess the big question there. But what do you kind yeah. of think about Kansas? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, here here we'll, we'll view it this way. Okay. Who do you view as a more real contender for the Big Twelve right now? Kansas State or Texas? I would say Kansas State. Hmm? I think the combination of the loss of Quinn Ewers and obviously like we just discussed it with Texas, whatever's going on there, and then you look at Kansas State and they are a very sound team. They, this is a team that is not going to beat themselves. You you are going to have to go in and beat them, right? And obviously they have one of the top running backs in the country, Deuce Vaughn. They have a really good defense. And I think the only question remaining for K-State is if they are in a tight game, can they rely on Adrian Martinez to make a play to kind of push them over the top, right? I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the final question for them is is because their first two games haven't been close at all. They 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 blanked South Dakota State. And they beat the crap out of Missouri, right? So I, I think that's the only question that remains for K State. But yeah, I mean, again, this is a team that was the they were the dark horse pick for the Big Twelve, and then they were the dark horse pick so many times that they kind of just became like a pick, right? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was no longer a dark horse. It was just a horse. <laughs> right. Just just a horse. Yeah. So when you look at it from that standpoint, yeah, absolutely. This is a team that could easily win ten games. Like I said, I think I think the question for K State is going to be They've got a big one coming up against Oklahoma on the road. In that game, late in the game, 
is Adrian Martinez going to be able to step up to make the play that might be the game, the play that wins or loses them the game? That's the only question left they have really to answer. And then I think if if we see that at some point during the course of the season, then you'll say, okay, now we can take this team either seriously or maybe less seriously as a legitimate Big Twelve title team is is going to be on, on mm-hmm. the question of that because we know the quarter your quarterback is going to have to make plays at some point if you're going to if you have title aspirations in your conference and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the final piece of the puzzle, I think, for K-State. But other than that, like I said, they're not a team that's going to beat themselves. And that's obviously been kind of the mantra or thing that's made K-State who they've been is that that's that's who they are. They're going to play sound. They're going to play good defense. They're probably going to run the ball pretty well. They're not going to beat themselves. And they're just going to make you play play well enough on the other side to beat them. And that's kind of where they're at right now. And then, again, the question with Adrian Martinez is, can he push them over the top in close games? Mm Mm-hmm. Is West Virginia the worst team officially in the Big 12 now? I don't think how you could view it any other way than yes. I mean, Texas Tech just beat Houston. Iowa State just beat Iowa. Mm-hmm. TCU has a win. The other team would be KU, obviously, but KU beat them. So so automatically, KU's got to be above them. And that's it. So obviously, they have to be the worst at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, it'll certainly be interesting to see whenever they play like TCU, and I don't know what the yeah, order it, of I that is. It kind of depends on how bad TCU is, because yeah. like, Iowa State, obviously, while maybe they aren't as good this year, they should still be a seven-win team, you would think, probably, and Texas Tech is another team that's probably going to go six, seven wins, five, six, seven wins, and now we're looking at KU as probably a team that's going to win hopefully four or five games, mm-hmm. maybe more. So at that point, I think it comes down to TCU and West Virginia. And right now it's West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, it, it could still end up being Kansas because, like, could. what if West Virginia wins two games and KU yeah, doesn't win another one? I don't think that'll happen, but those would be the ones still in discussion. It's West Virginia, TCU, Kansas, maybe Texas Tech. But Texas Tech, they, they get that win beat, over Houston. They just beat Houston with yeah. their backup quarterback. And Houston was ranked. Yeah. Like, that was impressive for Texas Tech. But remember, Houston went into that game as underdogs. Yeah. Which was interesting, to say the least. Which of those do you think they were right, but... Is more winnable for KU, Houston or Texas Tech? So, this is an interesting thing that I definitely wanted to get into at some point this week. Because I have to assume that most optimistic Kansas fans in the preseason, as they were going through the schedule... They probably circled Texas Tech and said, you know what? That's a winnable game for KU. That's a winnable game, right? So if you're going off that logic, suddenly Houston has to become a very winnable game. They just lost to a team that you already thought in preseason KU would have a chance to beat. KU has looked objectively way better than I think probably anybody really expected them to look in the first two games of the season. So from that standpoint, yeah, this the this Houston game suddenly has to become very winnable for KU. I mean, they're they're think think about it this way. KU was 13 and a half point favorite uh, underdogs against West Virginia. They're only 10 and a half against Houston. Right? So he, and I think we and we just you and I just agreed West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12. And on top of that, so KU is favorite is underdogs by less points after just beating a team that we just agreed was the worst team in the Big 12. So I don't I, I don't see how you couldn't view this as a much more winnable game for KU than you would have viewed it. Because preseason, I think most people, most realistic Kansas fans are probably saying, don't lose the Houston game by 20, right? 
mm-hmm. a ranked team, a team that I think a lot of people expected was going to win 10, 11 games. I think the opening line for like sometimes you, at certain books they have like early season lines. It was around 17, something like that. Yeah. So from that standpoint, like I said, if you're if you're going by that logic, this game has to suddenly look not only winnable, but maybe like KU has a real chance. I yes, I definitely think they have a real chance against Houston. I I wish we could see what the line would be against Texas Tech. But you're right, because Texas Tech beat Houston, it's hard to imagine the the line would be shorter. It's just that the one thing I think that KU might have going in the Texas Tech game as opposed to that they don't have in this one is first of all, you have the letdown possibility after having such a big win. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but we just we haven't seen enough of it from KU. Although I guess last year when they had that big win at Texas, they followed it up with a really strong performance too, almost beating TCU. So maybe that should give you some notion that there won't be a letdown this week. Uh, but it's also the idea that with the Texas Tech one, you're going to be not directly, but you're going to have a bye week, then Oklahoma State, then Texas Tech. So maybe uh, the extra week of preparation that's kind of in between there. I don't I don't know how much of that you would use for the Texas Tech or whatnot would, would kind of help you out, and also the fact that. You've had recent success against them in, in some close matchups with them. Um, but, yeah, I think Houston probably just in terms of they just lost to Texas Tech. You would kind of have to pick that one. Yeah, but, I think the only other angle you could look at from there is just that maybe it turns out Texas Tech is just way better than yeah, people thought. They could. Like maybe instead of being a six-win team, they're an eight-win team, mm-hmm. right? We're going to tier the Big 12 with Kevin Flaherty coming up next of 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I am Derek Johnson and joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports so, Kevin, I, I want to kind of tear out the Big 12. We've seen two weeks of football, I guess three if you count week zero here, and obviously there haven't been a ton of conference games. There's just been the one between Kansas and West Virginia, so I haven't seen a ton of, you know, uh, against each other competition, but we got to see a little bit from Texas last week, Baylor taking on BYU, Texas Tech-Houston. We've seen some good snippets from some of these teams, Iowa State-Iowa, so, if we start at the top, who is in the top tier for you in the Big 12? Yeah, I think even with the BYU loss, you know, I, I think Baylor is up there. I thought that game really changed offensively for Baylor when those wide receivers went out and Baylor wasn't able to, to kind of stretch the field or really even threaten to stretch the field. And, I mean, if you watch that game, Derek, I mean, the second half in overtime was just basically like one long car accident. I mean, it was, you know, handoff, you know, somebody would get two yards through the line of scrimmage, just get absolutely blasted into, like, 1646 by some giant <laughs> linebacker, and then trot back to the huddle and do it all over again. My dad, I think, said that it reminded him of watching football back in the 50s. I mean, it, it was it was sort of that type of game. And I think, you know, it was tough for Baylor in that atmosphere with how hostile it was, but also because I don't know that there's another Big 12 team as physical as Baylor. And so if Baylor has to kind of do that and has to rein it in and really rely on the run game like that, that's not usually going to hurt them that much. But, 
BYU is a program that, you know, thrives on toughness uh, a lot of times, and this isn't, you know, a, a knock. It's just a, a comment on the way things are. BYU's got older players. And, you know, when you look at the mission trips and different things like that, you know, a redshirt sophomore in that program who's just breaking into the linemen, just breaking into the lineup, you know, he's a lot of times 23 years old. He's about the age of a redshirt senior. And so you've had more time in the weight room. You've had more time for your body to mature. And so I'm not sure Baylor's faults or or what showed up in that game will really hurt Baylor moving forward. I think Oklahoma, even with the way that it played in that first half against Kent State, I think you and I have talked about it, and I think Nick as well, in that we think – and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you have a new coaching staff, I think all of us felt like Oklahoma was going to be better at the end of the year than they are now. And so it didn't surprise me to see Oklahoma kind of, you know, stomp around and not look that great for a half and then kind of put things together in the second half against Kent State. I think they're in that discussion. Still trying to figure out Oklahoma State. I don't think this is an Oklahoma state team that's maybe as strong as previous versions, but you know, at the same time, they could kind of be in that discussion as well. And the other team that the other two teams, I guess that kind of hop out, you know, Kansas state just absolutely massacred Missouri. And, you know, it was funny. Missouri wound up taking, I think multiple timeouts and needing a K state penalty and an untimed down to find the end zone on the very last play of the game. The only time they scored a touchdown, and K State for its side put up forty, and came away feeling like it played poorly offensively. And so when you when you look at that, I think there's a lot of potential there from from the K State side. And then who knows what to think about Texas? Because and I realize I just gave you a first tier that's half the league, but you know I, I think Texas is so fascinating because. Let's be honest, did any of us expect Texas to lose to Alabama by one point? No. The second question I would ask is, has Texas ever really struggled to get up for a big game? And the answer to that's no, too. That hasn't typically been what's tripped Texas up. You look at the you know, the Georgia Bowl game, you look at some of their matchups with Oklahoma, they've shown up for those, even the ones that they've lost. And, and so I think with Texas, even with that result, and I think you can obviously look at it and say, okay, the defense looks much improved, but I think there's still that element of, okay, so they did win that, but what happens when you're playing a middle-of-the-league team you know, in, in November and maybe you're not that motivated that day? What happens then? Because I think that's really been what's tripped Texas up in the past. Yeah, uh, and I think that kind of speaks to the the state of the Big Twelve that it is kind of wide open here when when you put five sure. teams in in tier one. So, uh, where would you start off tier two here for the Big Twelve? Yeah, I I think that when you look at, at the win over Houston, you know Texas Tech was was really in control of that game through a half. I think they were up seventeen to three at halftime in that contest and. You know, Houston's kind of an interesting team to try and figure out. Obviously, Kansas is, is going to try and figure Houston out this uh, this weekend. But, you know, 
the fact that Texas Tech kind of collapsed a little bit, had the turnovers, had the adversity, and still wound up winning anyway. And I don't know, did you watch the overtime in that at all, Derek? No, I didn't get to catch much of it. Yeah, so Texas Tech in the first overtime faced a fourth and 20 and, and you know, needing to uh, – needing to convert, obviously, to, to stay alive, kind of, and they wound up getting a 21-yard pass play. <laughs> and so, you know, that kept them alive, and then they wound up scoring the touchdown there and then, you know, getting Donovan Smith to run in the touchdown to win. But I think the way that they responded to adversity was really strong. I still – TCU was kind of, I feel like, our mystery team going in. I still don't know what to think of TCU – you know, they didn't throw the ball very well against Colorado, but Max Duggan attempted three passes against Colorado. Max Duggan started against Tarleton State, and Max Duggan, you know, is now number two in the country in total QBR, you know, one spot ahead of Jalen Daniels. <laughs> and so, you you know, obviously you're saying some of the similar things there that you would have said after Kansas played Tennessee Tech where you're saying, well, it's Tarleton State, and and I think that's true. You're trying to figure out with that team. Iowa State looked about as bad as a team could possibly look in beating its rival for the first time in almost 10 years. And and so it's really tough to, to kind of figure out. To me, I think you probably, you know, at six at this spot, you'd maybe go with, say, Texas Tech, with TCU maybe around seven. But then that's sort of where you start circling Kansas in there too, right? Because Kansas, you have, one, you have the the blowout win over Tennessee Tech. And then, two, you have Kansas landing a road win over a league foe. And so that puts Kansas kind of right in that range too. Iowa State kind of in that 8-9 range as well. And then I think you've got a little bit of a drop-off to West Virginia, which isn't a bad team. I mean, they've lost, you know, two games kind of by the – the hair of their necks, but at the same time, I, I don't think that there's any way that you could have West Virginia in any spot but tenth at this point. So, would they be in in the final tier, kind of all by themselves? Yeah, I think so right now, uh, and, and that's not to say that they can't beat somebody. And and they've got a couple winnable games coming up. I think they have Towson this week, and then maybe at Virginia Tech next week. And Virginia Tech has been kind of hit or miss, and so. It's very possible West Virginia comes out of this month at two and two, and and you wind up saying, okay, you know, things are, are starting to right themselves a little bit. But from what we've seen from the first couple weeks, I do think West Virginia is kind of in its own tier there. If you had, uh, I don't know, try to figure out how the next year Big Twelve editions with BYU and UCF and everything would do in this year's edition of the conference. We just saw BYU beat Baylor. Do you think BYU would be the favorite to win the league? I don't think BYU beats Baylor on a neutral field. Uh, I, I thought that atmosphere was terrific, and that I don't think that this is a slight on BYU as much as it is, it is you know, praise for what their fans created, because I thought that place you know, looked amazing. The atmosphere was hopping and everything else, but if you were to say, hey, BYU, based on that win over Baylor, is probably going to make it to the Big 12 title game, and it's going to be a rematch in Arlington, I think I'd like Baylor in that matchup. And so I do think that 
I do think that BYU would be among the top couple teams in the Big 12. I think that the physicality that team plays with, the fact that BYU has such a good defense and has Jaron Hall as a quarterback, you know, I think that they've got a lot of pieces and they could wind up being a, a top 10, top 15 type team. But if we're saying, hey, you know, which team is going to finish the end of the year atop the standings, it might be BYU. But if you're asking me, okay, then take the top two teams, put them, put them at Arlington and have them play it out, I think I'd go with Baylor in, in a rematch at that point. Kevin, Texas Tech obviously just beat Houston last week. I think a lot of KU fans would probably, in the preseason, have looked at that game at Texas Tech and said, yeah, that's probably winnable. Is Texas Tech maybe a, a better team than what we were expecting at this point in the season? Yeah, I think they're a different team. And it's it's kind of, I think that makes it difficult to answer the question. I do think they're a little bit better, but I think that they're better in places that maybe people didn't expect, given that I think the defense has been significantly better than it has been in recent years. They really fly around to the ball. They play with a lot of intensity and toughness on that end. And I don't think, I think most of us felt, or at least I can say I felt going into the season, you know, maybe Joey McGuire did have that end playing with, with a little more intensity, but with Zach Kitley running that offense, with Tyler Shook as the projected quarterback, you know, and their talent they have at wide receiver, I think I figured Tech would be more of a, hey, we're going to hang 45 points, you know, every game. And if you beat us 52 to 45, that's that's the way it's going to go. You know, more like more like what you would expect from a typical Texas Tech type team. Now, I will say that the thing that scares you a little bit about that team moving forward is Donovan Smith did throw the three interceptions. And if he's going to be inconsistent, one, and two, turn the ball over like that, I do think it's going to make Tech maybe a little bit more vulnerable on a game-to-game basis. But at the same time, I do think that that team is probably a little bit better than what we thought. Is is everything you just described about Texas Tech with you know being able to score a lot, I, I know it's just the one game where the defense didn't have a great game, and in the first week they looked pretty dominant, but against an FCS opponent, could that be Kansas this year? Could they be the Texas Tech of old? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think when you look at a lot of the things, and you know, I'll, I'll bring up something that uh, that friend of the show Scott Chasen said. I think today was Kansas really, you know, was dominant offensively against West Virginia, and West Virginia has a lot of talent, especially in that front seven on defense. And Neil Brown pointed out, you know, we just couldn't get them figured out, you know. Kansas ran inside zone, outside zone. They ran belly option, you know, like they were a Nebraska team of old. And and when you look at, at a lot of those different things, and then you add in the ability to stretch the field with the pass and, and you know, Jalen Daniels' willingness to put it up in one-on-one matchups and let guys go make plays, uh, it does make Kansas's offense, I think, a little bit more sustainable. And, and the thing that Scott had mentioned – was that Kansas left plays out on the field. And when you look at, for instance, the first drive where where Kansas wound up punting, Kansas stopped itself. And there were other occasions where Kansas maybe stopped it itself a little bit. And it sounds crazy to say that Kansas could have scored every time it had the ball, 
But having watched the game, Derek, was it was it really that far fetched to suggest? I mean, I, I think the opportunities were there, and so I do think it, it's something where Kansas does have the pieces to be that good offensively. the The question I have is West Virginia's secondary is maybe its biggest weakness, and I think we all circled that wide receiver group coming into the season, saying. You know, if it's not a weakness, it's a group that's going to need to prove itself. And they did against West Virginia. My question is, okay, are, are those guys still going to help Kansas put up, you know, 42 points when it comes time to play Texas or when it comes time to play Oklahoma State or, or some of those teams? But I do think Kansas does have the pieces to be terrific offensively. Defensively, I, I do think that there are obviously areas for concern. There are areas to feel like, well, they can clean this up a little bit and, you know, generate improvement from where they were at. But at the same time, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a level of concern that, hey, you know, this group may be overmatched, you know, especially on the perimeter at certain positions. So Kansas taking on Houston on Saturday. How do you kind of see that matchup going? And does KU have the, the quarterback advantage there? The, the Clayton Toon Bowl, Derek. You know, right. For for those for those who who don't remember, and I you know I don't know if you guys were mentioning it earlier, Clayton Tune was committed to Kansas for a really long time. And as a matter of fact, I remember covering a KU camp one summer where Clayton Tune and Graham Mertz just put on an absolute show. And, and Tune at the time, I believe, was committed to Kansas. Mertz is now at Wisconsin as the starting quarterback there, and now Tune is at Houston, and he's got a lot of weapons and. And I think one of the the benefits of what Kansas has shown and what Houston has shown is Dana Holgorsen's offense isn't necessarily super complex, but they're very good at what they do. And I think that that's something that could allow Houston to to move the ball and and have a lot of success. I think you're going to see them attack down the field more. I thought West Virginia got rid of the ball really quickly a lot. I don't know if it was because they were worried about the pass rush with the way Lonnie Phelps and those guys played in the first week or if it was, you know, hey, it just happened that way. But, you know, I do think Houston's going to take some more downfield shots. You might see a few more explosives. But on the other end, what I was going to say is I think that Kansas is kind of the exact opposite. How do you prepare for Kansas's offense with one week to prepare? Because you're, you don't usually see teams that are going to stress you vertically from spread formations and, and things that Kansas is capable of doing with Jalen Daniels at quarterback and also have to prepare for, you know, the, the belly option and, and the different run looks that, that Kansas presented. And so I do think that Kansas is going to have a pretty strong offensive game against Houston. It's just a question of whether or not the Jayhawks can slow down the Cougars on that end. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work in 24-7 sports. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 sports. Joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on our... Five o'clock hour with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We did our KU offensive takeaways on yesterday's show. Let's get to the defense today. And week one, the defensive line dominated. Lonnie Phelps was the best player on the field when 
He was on defense versus that Tennessee Tech offense. Obviously, much better competition. And you give up 42 points in that game. All four drives for West Virginia in the first half resulted in touchdowns. Second half, I mean, third quarter, you played pretty well. You had uh, one stop, then you had another drive that ended the third quarter, started the fourth quarter that you held them to a field goal instead of a touchdown, but then West Virginia was able to kind of easily work through you in the fourth quarter, although you did stop them that other first time as well to a field goal. But what's the concern level for you on the KU defense? Is there one? Uh, There definitely is one, yes. And I think it's interesting from what Kevin Flaherty was just talking about, just had him on the show, is, is like, does your concern level about the defense change based on how successful the offense is? Right? Like, if the offense plays really well, are you that concerned about the defense giving up 34, 40 points a game, whatever, if the offense is doing well, right? Hmm. For me, yes, there are definitely concerns about the defense. And in this game against West Virginia, I actually found it very interesting. The defense pretty much failed to accomplish everything that we pointed out would be keys (laughs) to stopping West Virginia. The offense was that good. (laughs) Um you think about Bryce Ford Wheaton, 11 catches, 152 yards. He was doing whatever he wanted. JT Daniels, his uniform didn't even get dirty. KU defensive line could not get any pressure on him. They had blown they had blown coverages, guys falling down, some bad angles in the secondary. Like, all those things that we talked about leading up to the West Virginia game as things that the defense needed to do, they really didn't do them. But that all being said, they still managed to get some stops when it mattered. They got the pick six, obviously, from Kobe Bryant to end the game. And... Yeah, it wasn't great, but one of the things about Brian Borland's defenses is that we saw from last season as well, they tended to get better in the second half. Like, the first half, sometimes they struggled. The second half of games, they were typically better. And that was the case again against West Virginia. They shut out West Virginia in the third quarter, and they looked a lot better defensively. But I don't I don't see how you could walk away from this game and not be concerned about the defense. I mean, obviously the offense steals the show with how well they're playing, but... But there's definitely some things to, to work on with the defense that they can improve upon. And I don't think there's any reason that they can't improve and, and, and be better, right? I mean, like, for instance, in the secondary, we saw some bad angles from some of the guys in the secondary. And obviously on the on the long touchdown we heard from Lance Leipold, O.J. Burroughs fell, right? So maybe maybe that's not a touchdown. Maybe it's instead of a touchdown, it's like a 20-yard gain, but at least the defense has a chance to get out the field still at that point. So, yeah, there's definitely some questions and – I think the concern level, like on a scale of one to ten, is what? What would you say? Well, okay, so it depends what we're doing first, here. If, first if, of all, if you're viewing it on a concern level of like to national perspective, then it's like higher up there, right? Okay. You know what I mean? Like in yeah. terms of how good is KU's defense compared to the national ranking? It's at, what an eight, something like that, a seven and eight. It's still early in the season, so that's why you wouldn't go like you know much higher than that. But if you're viewing it from a standpoint of one of these two things. One, is it better than last year's defense? I still think it's better than last year's it's defense. It's a very low bar. It is. Two, and this is probably the more important part, what they need to be for KU to win four, five, six games. Yeah. Then at that point, it's like, a, like I guess, how would you define the scale? Is it like five, a like, five, you know, five or six, five something like, like that? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say five. Yeah, because I think I think the thing with this defense, and especially if the offense is as good as it has looked so far, if the offense is that good, yeah. it gives you a much 
looser leash for what the defense can be. It gives you much more margin for error. And I think the biggest thing that the defense needs to be, if the offense is that good, is just opportunistic. Like, yes, they have to be better than they were last year. They can't give up 42 points per game. That has to, at the very least, be in the mid-30s. They need to create more turnovers. They need to create more chaos. They need to have more drives where they bend but don't break. And at the very least, in the West Virginia game, I'll say this. Even though you did struggle overall, you bent but you didn't break on two occasions where you gave up the field goals. Yep. You were opportunistic with the pick six to win it and the, I know this wasn't really defense to offense, but the the muffed punt by West Virginia and being able to recover it. And then also, you still were much better against the run than you were last year, where at least you made them a little bit more one-dimensional. Yeah, that was that was the lone bright spot, really, of the defense. Right? Yeah. It was the run game. Under four yards per carry. Yeah, which was pretty surprising because West Virginia came out and they acted like they wanted to do exactly what they did against Pittsburgh, which is they wanted to run in between the tackles. And, and KU pretty much slowed them down or stopped them for the most part in the run game. And the one thing that surprised me about West Virginia is they ran a lot of draw plays, like a lot of draw plays, like too many draw plays. I don't really know why they did that. I mean, I know their pass game was working, so maybe they that's why they were trying to run that many, but they were running, and and Kevin Flirty, like he mentioned, maybe that was part of the another reason why they were throwing the ball so quickly out of J.C. Daniels' hands is maybe they really were legitimately concerned about the pass rush of Kansas, even though it didn't do anything in the game in this game. It was clear that their game plan still involved expecting it to be a problem, right? They were throwing a lot of quick passes. They ran a lot of draw plays, which is, you know, you get the defensive line upfield, get the running back in behind them, whatever. So that was a bit surprising. But, the, yeah, the, the defense, from the ground game perspective, that was their big weakness last year. They look a lot better there in the short term, right? And, and again, I, I think maybe you and I were on the same page with this, but Lonnie Phelps obviously had a fantastic game against Tennessee Tech, was the best player on the field. But I don't think that you and I expected that to just be the case every single week, right? And against West Virginia, he took a, test, he took a step back from that standpoint. Now, we heard from Lance Leipold saying, oh, well, you know, West Virginia had some stuff dialed up to game plan against Lonnie Phelps, presumably because they watched film and saw that he was dominant against Tennessee Tech. But, but yeah, so that's that point still stands. And, and, and I think you and I both agree also that Lonnie Phelps is going to have to be one of the better players on the defense in order for them to, to achieve success, right? But, again, like you said, even if the defense is marginally better, with how well the offense has played in the first two games, that might be good enough to get KU – four or five wins, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's you know, I, I don't think anybody's asking for the defense to, to, to go out there and be the 85 Bears. No. No, yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of how you, you view things. And and who knows? What if, like, at the end of the season, because it, it's still so hard to fully judge, like, what did you go up against? And in terms of, I know we've talked about, and we just talked with Kevin, we talked with each other, that West Virginia is the worst team in the Big 12. But if we just, like, separate it out and look at the West Virginia defense for or the West Virginia offense. I'm sorry. For instance, what if West Virginia ends up being like a, you know, not like an elite offense, but like a good offense, you know, what if they with, very well could be, they could be right. You have yeah. a, a talented quarterback. You have a good offensive coordinator. You have two really talented running backs. You have the right. one stud receiver with Bryce Ford Wheaton. You have a veteran offensive line. Like we could look at the end of the year and West Virginia averaged 35 points per game. And you're going, Oh, well that wasn't like a huge deal that they caused you issues what scares me the most is the lack of disruption by the defensive line I impressed by the linebackers I'll say that like it wasn't perfect no but Rich Miller had 12 tackles Craig Young was in on a bunch of stuff um 
I think the linebackers continue to show how much improved they are from last year to this year. You only had one tackle for loss, though. You had no sacks. And so... And really no pressure. No. I mean, not even not even no sacks, just really no mm-hmm. pressure at all. No, yeah. yeah. I, I'm having trouble, like, in my head thinking of times where JT Daniels was forced to scramble or, or took a hit or something like that. Yeah. So that that's something that is going to have to change because if you do want to create more opportunities where you are creating an interception or a strip sack or something, a lot of it is going to come down to just that, the idea that can you get pressure from that defensive line. So there is a lot of pressure on guys like Lonnie Phelps and so forth to do more than the West Virginia game, and especially when you look at the secondary, and that was my biggest question after the Tennessee Tech game, just because we didn't really see it. Tennessee Tech didn't really have a... I don't know, an adept passing game of being able to take advantage of you, and they were under so much pressure. There were times when receivers, you would see them open, but they couldn't get the ball out, or the ball got tipped at the line of scrimmage, or the quarterback got hit while he was throwing it, or he just missed the pass. And so that was a question for me of what's it going to look like against a team like West Virginia. And like even Jacoby Bryant, for instance. Jacoby Bryant has the, uh, the pick six to win the game. Prior to that, he was targeted nine times. Six of them get completed for like 94 yards. Craig Young was targeted a bunch, gave up a bunch of yards. Like you had the the OJ Burroughs one. There there were some issues in that secondary that scare me a little bit moving forward, especially if you're not going to be getting pass rush from the front four. We talked about this after the Tennessee Tech game, but should we be worried about Kenny Logan? See, it's tough because you look at like the pro football focus grades, for instance, right? He did not grade out well for the second straight week. But he was second on the team in tackles. He was. And you compare it to last year, he graded out great in Pro Football Focus. But let's, for a minute, talk about Pro Football Focus. It is not the be-all, end-all. It's a reference point, right? It is a flawed system. Very flawed. There are certain references that I think are helpful. For instance, it's it's hard to put stats down for coverage and blocking grades, and it can be nice to have the reference point for them there. But at the end of the day, you don't totally know what the coaches are asking these guys to do. I think Kenny Logan is still more than just fine. I, I think he's very helpful on that back end for, for KU. What scared me, and this isn't just a Kenny Logan thing, but he's going to take the brunt of it for that one specific play because it sticks out the most. The The second West Virginia touchdown, I think, was the one where he misses the tackle at the back end and then it leads to the long touchdown for West Virginia. Or maybe it was the third run. I don't remember. Um, well, on the one that O.J. Burroughs fell down, Lo- Kenny Logan took a not a very good angle yeah. that helped him get to the outside for the touchdown. Yeah, so it's just it's just tackling in general. Because if you want to be a sound defense, if you want to be a defense that is bend, not break, you know what the best way to do that is? Just be good at tackling because then they're not going to be able to bust out an 80-yard touchdown. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we need to be too concerned either right now uh, about Kenny Logan specifically. But the other interesting thing is we heard a lot about O.J. Burroughs in preseason and him versus Marvin Grant. And, and O.J. Burroughs played a majority of the snaps. And, and it's clear that even though O.J. Burroughs might not, from the physicality standpoint, really look like a, a, a major Big 12 safety, clearly from his coverage ability and his instincts, the coaches really, really like him, and he's playing a lot, which is which is interesting and, and I think could be exciting, right? If you're looking for somebody who's maybe opt- opportunistic in the secondary, like this, all, all we've heard about it is people raved about his instincts, raved about his coverage ability. So maybe he's a guy you look to that can maybe create some plays on the back end against – teams that are going to be throwing the ball more downfield, like maybe Houston this weekend. 
So that's that's something to keep an eye on. But but yeah, I, I think there's no question that the D line is going to have to produce more. I mean, we kind of went from we kind of went on a pendulum, like from the Tennessee Tech game, then we swung all the way the other way to West Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as long as we can somewhere get back to the, sort of the middle, it'll end up being okay. But too many games like this against West Virginia, and the even if you have a great secondary, you're going to run into problems. Right. So yeah, that's that's just kind of where we are with the bar. Like, can you can you be better than the West Virginia game? You don't have to be nearly as dominant as the Tennessee Tech game for obvious reasons. But I think moving forward, you can't count on the offense. And again, the offense might just be really, really good, and and that's super helpful. But you don't want to go into every game counting on, hey, the offense, can they just outscore the opposition? You want to have at least some games in there where, right, can you hold, can you hold a Big 12 opponent to 28 points to where the offense yeah. 31 gets it done? Uh, can you hold Houston this week to, to 27? Can you hold them to 30 so that the offense has a little bit more leeway with what to work there? Because that's the other part of this. The offense had no turnovers in that West Virginia game. What happens in a game where the, the turnover number is even? What happens if KU turns it over twice and the other team turns it over twice? Like, or both teams have zero turnovers? You know, they, they almost turned it over with the high shot fumble. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah and, and I do think it's interesting. I was just thinking about this from a macro perspective. Like, over the past decade... It's usually been like the complete opposite with KU, where it's been you're begging the offense to get a first down at some point in the game to give the defense some rest. Like it's like the defense is a dam doing doing what they can, trying to hold back the floodwaters, and the offense is is mustering like, you know, two first downs a quarter or something. Mm-hmm. Now it's shaping up like this year could be kind of the opposite, where it turns out KU has put together a really explosive offense, but now can the defense kind of put things together and get some stops late in games? And I think that's where maybe you might see this factor of, like I mentioned earlier, of Brian Borland's defenses have tended to play better in second halves. That could be something where you see factor in, where maybe it is some tough first halves for KU, but can they put things together in the second half and get a a stop in the fourth quarter, right? Because in some cases, maybe if you only get one stop in a game, but it's on in the, it's in the fourth quarter and it prevents the other team from winning the game, that's all that matters, right? Yeah. So from that standpoint, that may be all KU may need to do is if they can get timely stops and in and, and situations like that, that might be enough to, to win, like I said, to win them th- two or three more games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's kind of the hope there. And I think that um, with this defense, you're definitely helped by the added depth because what you did in the second half, like I'm sure that's definitely a part of it. And – who knows? Maybe it's also something where it's like, hey, West Virginia got to play against a real power five, a top 25 opponent in week one. Kansas maybe still had a little shock to to go up against a power five opponent in just week two after what they did in week one and how easy it was. Yeah. And so West Virginia just kind of, you know, took it right to them right away. But if you look at it from a standpoint of, well, what happened in the second half on? If you just look at the third quarter, fourth quarter and overtime, they give up 14 points. And if you're giving up 14 points a half, you give up 28 for the game. That would be more than enough, more than good enough for what I think you would hope this Kansas defense is this year. Yeah, I was actually thinking that while we're have the, having this discussion is Kenny Logan, for example, was talking about when he kind of took that angle on that play that gave up a touchdown. That that could have just been to your point, like, hey, against an FCS opponent, maybe you can take that angle and get the guy right. But <laughs> against the Big 12 guys, they got a little bit more speed on the outside, you know. So that's just one example of maybe. Something like like you said to that point. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got the rest of the Lance Leipold press conference to share with you next.